start with the set aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially let go, help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your truth. Heavenly Father, thank you for grace and mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to glorify you tonight by carrying your message in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're on there's a solution. I don't know, this is probably the 20th time I've gone through these pages, but um, what we did uh, on Saturday was really a tremendous uh, first step uh, in the book, and we're going to continue that tonight. Uh, the big book is intended for us to realize through the first 43 pages of Doctor's Opinion that we're screwed without God that we're never going to be able to not drink or use without God. And we're not going to be able to do that till we admit complete defeat and can see the truth about our situation, see our brokenness. In Scripture, that's talked about in Romans, how uh, none of us can ever be righteous before God when we die. And so we need, we need something else. And the, for Christians, that's... Uh, uh, grace and through Christ and what he did and, and faith in him and in the big book it's through uh, complete defeat and seeing your brokenness and seeking God as you understand him and, and um, so we've gotten to the point where they've talked about the allergy of the body everybody in AA is allergic to alcohol you wouldn't know it because we drank a lot of it but the allergy to alcohol is called the phenomenon of craving. And alcoholics are unique in that they're different than normal people. And they're different than normal people because if we have one drink, we want a second one. Anybody ever have that? And so uh, that means that we have no control over how much we drink. We may one night and say, oh, well, I controlled it last night, so I, I can do it tonight, and then we're off and running. Um, and so we'll never have that. It's never treated, it can't be removed. So if you can't control how much you drink, you better not drink. Is that a good idea? So you, you have to be able to make a choice not to take the first drink. Well, there's another problem we have. We cannot make the choice to not drink. Does that seem crazy? Everybody in here looks normal, but there's something wrong with our mind because we can't, we've lost the power of choice over drink. And until the alcoholic realizes that, there's no hope for them. They still have a plan or they think there's a way, but we're completely powerless over alcohol. Sober, sober without alcohol, I'm completely powerless over it because my mind will tell me I need a drink and my mind will tell me that, and I won't even be aware of it. And then I will drink. If that, has that ever happened to anybody in here? It could be drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, whatever. I love the, the new gambling ads. They have this little uh, disclaimer at the bottom. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800. <laughs> well, anybody who's addicted to gambling is not going to call the 1-800 number. In fact, they even did an ad where they you can get an app on your phone that'll limit the amount of time you can gamble each day and how much money you can spend. And I said, well, but if you're the one pushing the buttons, 
it's not going to work. And they mean well, but they just want to make a lot of money. But for alcoholics, we can't, uh, we can't not drink. And we're going to read that in these pages. We're going to see why. So the big books laid out the first 43 pages that tell us we have no defense against the first drink. Then they have a chapter here about God and how we're going to have to seek God and willing to believe that there is a power that can help me. And then we're going to read and how it works, which we started tonight, we always read at the meeting, is how we, how we make a decision that we're going to not be God anymore. And we're going to ask God to be God and we're going to serve him. And then steps four through nine is how I carry that out and have this relationship with God. And 10 and 11 is how I live with him every day. And if you do that, you'll never drink again. And so we're at the point when page 22, I'll just review, and we're going to hammer home 23 and 24. And if the way they laid the book out, I know they didn't intend this. This was a God thing. But page 24 has, at certain times, we have no defense against the next drink. And right across it on page 25, it says there is a solution. How'd that happen? Wonder who did that. It wasn't the printer. You get it? And in fact, the manuscript was so bad that they took to the printer that they had to stay in a hotel across from the printers for three days so they could make sure that they actually, he could read the manuscript right, because there were all these cross-outs and all. And that was in early uh, 1939, February, March 39. I think the book was published in April. So they talk about, uh, on page 22, it says, he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. He hides alcohol all over the house. Anybody ever hide alcohol? See, alcohol is a legal substance, but people are hiding a legal substance. Now, there's something wrong with that. But I hid alcohol. Everybody did it. I'm not the only one. Because we know it's bad. We don't want people to know. It says he drinks liquor or, or sedatives to quiet his nerves. And in the first paragraph of 26, he simply cannot make it, gets drunk all over again. Anybody do that? And he begins to appear at hospitals and sanitariums. And it says this is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic. But why does he behave like this? Why do we behave like this? And if hundreds of experiences show him that one drink means another debacle, with all its suffering and humiliation, page 22, why is it that he takes the one drink? That's the real question. Why does an alcoholic ever take the first drink? And they're going to tell us. Why can't he stay in the water wagon? What has become of common sense of willpower? And notice, I saw a new word, that he sometimes displays with respect to other matters. I noticed the sometimes. Because a lot of times, uh, we don't have common sense or good willpower in other areas besides alcohol. It says, uh, opinions vary considerably why we react differently from normal people. But here's the key. We are not sure why, but once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. In other words, when we cross that invisible line and we lose the power of choice, I cannot fix that in someone else. I have no power over that in Stu. Once he's lost the power of choice, I can't give it back to him. Now, this big book is not how we give the power back to us. 
It's how they described how they got the power. And if we do what they did, then we will have it. We know that while alcoholic keeps away from drink as he may do, he reacts much like other men. But we're positive that once he takes it into his system, something happens both in bodily and mentally sense which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. If you've ever been the Alcoholics Anonymous for a while and you see a new person come in and then they, you don't see them for a while and they go back to drinking, it, was, it never goes better. It's always worse. It's a progressive illness. And Stu and I have had a bad experience yesterday. I had somebody call me. I haven't seen him for a while. And he wanted to check in with, with me. I knew that was a bad sign. And he lives out of town. I used to see him a lot at meetings. I tried to help him. And he wanted to talk to some people who could give him some power. I said, well, here's the power. Throw out the alcohol. Pour it out. And he goes, I'm not ready for that yet. I said, well, I want you to pour out the alcohol and text me today that you're sober and you've asked God to help you keep from drinking. And then he butted on me an hour later and he wasn't ready, and I felt so sad for him. He's no different than me. I'm no better than him. But it was just a really powerful reminder of how bad this disease is. And then Stu and I, we tried to help this man. He's not young anymore, he's 39, for three or four years. Met with him a million times, read the book, been here a million times. Finally got a DUI on Sunday. And then he called Stu yesterday to give him a ride from work where they had actually fired him. And then his wife had decided that she didn't want to be married anymore. That was one or two weeks ago. But you know, three years of un, un, I could not stop more than a month or so. And I'm worried. I haven't heard from him. And I, I'm worried that he may take his life. I'm really worried. And so Stu and I could talk about that after the meeting. But it just gets worse. It gets worse and worse. And so why do we take that first drink? What's wrong with us? So we have a illness where we lose the power of choice, but our real illness is a spiritual illness, which they don't get to in the big book till page 60. But they're talking now to try to break down our pride enough so that we'll be willing to believe that there's a power that can help us, and it can't be us. Does this make sense? And so they say, we're picking up where we left off. The, these observations would be academic and pointless if we never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. I do believe, I think I probably did it, where I would swear I was never going to drink again. And I could have passed the lie detector test. And I always had a plan for when I was going to stop. You know, I'm going to stop next weekend. Anybody do that? And I had the date, I had it all planned how I was going to do it. And I swear, if I'd taken a lie detector test, I would have passed it. But it never happened, not till God brought me to my knees. But, um, but we believe that. And so um, what happens? Therefore, it says, the main problem of the alcoholic center is in his mind. So now they're going to talk about losing the power of choice. And remember, we take the first drink sober. So most alcoholics come to AA and they think their problem is drinking. But no, our problem is sober. We can't live sober without taking the first drink. And why can't we do that? Because when we're living sober, we're running the world. 
And when I'm running the world, it doesn't go well. And then my emotions build up, and I say, I need to treat that. And my mind's been damaged and knows that if I take alcohol, it'll treat that. It thinks it will, but I forget all the th bad things that are going to happen. Has that ever happened to someone? It happened to me. It happens to all alcoholics. So the disease centers in our mind. There's something wrong with our minds. You've heard the joke about they were selling three minds at, uh, uh, what's the famous place in New York where they auction stuff off? Yeah, one of them. And they had three minds there. And they had a brilliant uh, uh, physician's mind. He had come up with the cure for cancer. And somebody bid 100000 for that, and they got it. Then they had a brilliant lawyer's mind. He, he, he was the most brilliant jurist in the United States. And that was worth 200000 And then the third mind was an alcoholics. And it went for $5 million. And they said, well, why did it go for so much? Well, they said, because it's never been used. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Nobody here laughed, but I got a good joke for you. I know. No, we're we're recording. <laughs> you could do your joke afterwards. All right. Um, so it, it says if you ask him why he started on that last spender, the chances are he will offer you one hundred alibis, one of hundred alibis. And I ask people why they drank again. A lot of times they just they just don't know. But it, it's these emotions that we we look at in the fourth step build up, and then we seek relief. Uh, and these excuses have a certain plausibility sometimes to the alcoholic, but when you look at them and you know what's happened, it, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Has that happened if you work with somebody and you talk to them? And it says that none of them really make sense in light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of the man who, having a headache, beats himself in the head with the hammer so that he can't feel the ache. I know that's a pretty strange example, but. I guess it makes sense. If you draw this, so you're going to hit yourself in the head with a hammer so your head won't ache. But then your head's going to ache from hitting it with the hammer. So that's like drinking, right? It makes no sense. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of the alcoholic, you will laugh it up or become irritated or refuse to talk. Why? Why? Because we, we, uh, we can't see the truth. And if you can't see the truth, then there's no hope for you. Remember, there are people who cannot or will not give themselves this simple program. Those people are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And honest with yourself is that moment of truth when you can see the truth about your situation. You can never not take the first drink. And you can never keep, once you drink, you can never control it. And you can't run your own life. It just is not working. Until you do that, people won't work the steps. Now, this book, I think, was written for people who were completely defeated and ready to do it in willingness. It says, once in a while, you may tell the truth. And I wrote, whose truth? The truth is he sees it. But remember, we drink on a lie. It says, the, the doctor's opinion, we cannot see the truth from the false. Right before we drink, we can't see the truth about it. We can only drink on the false. And he usually has no more idea why he took the first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, 
but in their hearts they really do not know why they did it. And here's the, the sad truth. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. It's baffling. Why we can't control ourselves. Why in the morning we'll say we're not going to do something and at five we're doing it. Because the mind seeks it. It seeks relief. There's the obsession, which is an idea that continually uh, uh, preoccupies the mind. This obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. What that really means is that I'll be able to drink and it won't, buy, it won't hurt me. Or it'll be okay this time. Now, right before somebody drinks, who's really sworn that they would never drink again, and they, they, they've had terrible consequences, and then their willpower says, no, I'm never going to drink again. And yet they're on their way to the liquor store. And why don't they say no? Because they're only thinking about what alcohol is going to do for them, not to them. And once your mind is focused on the ease and comfort of alcohol, nothing's going to stop you from drinking. In fact, most people feel better just on the way to the st liquor store. Or if you're an addict, when you're ready to get your pills, or when you're ready to gamble, or whatever your addiction is. Because you can feel that, that ease and comfort coming to relieve you of a life of self-will. And so, but they are often suspect they are down for the count. And it's, it's good when you're, when, you're, when you're knocked out. See, you're not going to win in the disease of alcoholism until you're completely knocked out and you're completely defeated. And remember, you have to surrender to win. You've heard that. But you have to be defeated to begin to, to win. And because you have to be defeated to self-centeredness and realize you need a God-centered life. And you won't do that until you're completely defeated. Alcoholics are always looking a way to beat the disease, but it's always the third door. It's never God or alcohol. They have a plan. How true this is, few realize. In a vague way, their families and friends sense that these drinkers are abnormal, but everybody hopefully awaits the day when the sufferer will rouse himself from his lethargy and assert his power of will. They're just waiting for that day when we're going to be able to do it. And, you know, I could see it like, uh, and that's why people give up on us, because they're waiting and it never happens. And we keep choosing alcohol over them. And then we wonder why they're upset. But it never has. It says the tragic truth. And why can't we arouse ourselves from lethargy and assert our will? Because intellect can never overcome emotions. That's the problem with alcoholism. We, we live on it. We act on our emotions, and they overcome our intellect. Fear, resentment, shame, and guilt. Maybe that's why we, we, uh, we inventory shame and guilt from, from harms to others. That's why we inventory resentment and we inventory fear. Because those are the emotions that cause us to drink. And they're all a result of wrong thinking, which is the result of being your tree being planted in your soil and not God's soil. And so it's, it's they're not going to talk about that now, but. I hope it makes sense, you see. So the tragic day never is going to come. You know, I never see a real alcoholic who could stop drinking on his own. 
Some people can with God, but many of them are hard drinkers. But I can't say that someone can't recover from alcoholism with it, their plan. I don't know that. But I know I couldn't. And this book is written for people who can't recover on my intellect and the power of my will. I need some, something different. Because AA says that we don't have the only way. But we have a way that works. And so if your way doesn't work, try this way. Does that make sense? And um, it says he has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, we pass into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no help. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of scary. A certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. So we've lost the power of choice, and then we've lost control. And the disease centers in our mind, and with our mind, we cannot say no to the first drink. And I don't think we emphasize that enough in AA. And I never have the choice today to not drink. Well, how, how can that be? Look at him. He seems okay. The only thing I have the choice today is to choose the power that gives me choice. You understand that? That from myself alone, I can't, in my power, I can't choose not to drink today. But with God, I have the power to choose. So I don't want to get too far away from God. And so I didn't understand that for a long time. But I heard somebody say that maybe 20 years ago, I listened to the tape, and I said, wow, and I had to stop it and replay that. And then it made sense. And here it is, squiggly writing. So this is really important, this paragraph. And if you notice, right across from it, in squiggly writing, it says, there's the solution. This is like Romans, where they tell you there's no hope for you, and then they give you the gospel. And in here, they're telling us there's no hope for us, and then on the next page, they're going to show us that there is hope. The fact is, so this is a fact, is that most alcoholics, I would say if you are all alcoholics, but they never do that here. They don't say absolutes. Most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, we don't really understand it, have lost the power of choice in drink. It's so important that alcoholics understand that there's two things that make you an alcoholic, loss of control, loss of choice. And all alcoholics have that. People go to treatment for 30 days, they come back and say, well, I'm an alcoholic. And I say, good, uh, what makes you an alcoholic? And they tell me, well, they're self-centered or this and that. But what we have to hammer home is simply, I have no control over how much I drink. And I, sober, I don't have the power to choose not to drink. And that makes me powerless over alcohol. Completely powerless. Now, if I think I'm only 90% powerless, I'm screwed, right? Because 90% powerless won't help you. Because then you still have 10% of your own power, and then you're going to drink again. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. And I would say that alcoholics that I've met are very strong-willed. I was very strong-willed when I came in here. I was strong self-will. Now I'd like to be strong with God's will. It's not always the case, but I'm seeking it. 
our willpower becomes practically non-existent. So where does it go? Where does willpower go? It's still there, but it's overcome by the power of the obsession to drink. Do you see that? And so my intellectual power can never overcome that uh, obsession to drink. We are unable at certain times, now here's the key word, certain times, to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a moment ago, and I usually say even a minute or 10 minutes or an hour. Did we set the alarms off or something? It's vacuuming. Oh. So here's the key word. We are unable at certain times. So people read this and they say, well, I'm in AA now, so I'll know the certain time now, right? I'll be able to bring into consciousness with sufficient force this memory and suffering and humiliation. But that's not what it says, because we don't know when the certain time will be. So if you're new to AA and you're sober and you haven't worked the steps, you don't have a relationship with God, that's considered step zero, which means you don't have any power yet of choice and it's dangerous. So that's why I like to get people in the book. I like to get them working the steps as quickly as possible. Because just it, reading the book with someone, starting to work the steps, even the third step prayer starts to give you power because you're seeking away from yourself towards God. And at certain times, I'll never be able to recall the sufficient force, the memory of why I don't want to drink. That has to be true, isn't it? Because everybody here had bad, had a lot of trouble drinking and wanted to quit and would drink again. Was that true for anybody here? And so it's true, it's an absolutely true statement. So here's what it means. We are without defense against the first drink. And I wrote forever. I don't want to ever think that I have power not to drink today. Because then I'll stop praying and I'll stop seeking God and, I'll start thinking, I, I can start boasting. Paul says we should not boast in Romans, none of us, because on our own, we're nothing. And so I never have a defense against the first drink, so I want to seek the defense all the time, which is God. And so they're too nice about it. They should really say in this paragraph, you're screwed, you know, but that would be too simple. But that's basically what they're saying. If you're a real alcoholic, you're in big trouble. You have a serious illness. You're, it's, you're powerless over it. You have no power to stop. The almost certain consequences to follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. Certain consequences. We know the consequence. We've done it a million times, but it won't deter me. These thoughts occur. They're hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea, threadbare meets in arguments that use so often that it no longer is effective. That's a good, so we use this, uh, this idea we've used so often it's no longer effective, that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. But that's where you're really thinking about it, but a lot of people just, just go and drink. They just want to be relieved and they seek the ease and comfort of alcohol, and they can't explain why, because they don't understand their spiritual illness. There's a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Now, has anybody ever burned themselves? 
Now, people burn themselves, don't say the next day, oh, I want to do that again, right? And I'll see it. Maybe it won't hurt this time. But nobody does that. Now, how do you go from this to page 85? I'm going to go there in a minute. I just want to finish the next two paragraphs. The alcohol may, may say to himself, it won't burn me this time, or perhaps he doesn't think it out. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way? And after the third or fourth pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted, well, I'll start with the sixth drink, or what's the use anyway? Now, here's the key thing. When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic, so this is a real alcoholic who's completely powerless over alcohol, who's lost the power of choice, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid. We're beyond human aid. The only aid that can help us is God aid. And unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. And here's the key word in the book, but for the grace of God, we get the grace of God to give us power over alcohol. It's a free gift, isn't it? But we, to get the gift of grace of God, to have power over alcohol, we have to do some work. We have to take the actions of the steps to have this grace work in our lives. The grace won't work unless we do the work. So it says it works if you work it right. And so if we want the grace of God, then I have to do the work to keep it. And then uh, just briefly, it says, I have no defense against alcohol. So on page 85, if you turn to your book, 84 and 85, this is where you've worked the steps. You're in step 10. You've done the work to look at your thinking and your, and your mind, and you're free of resentments and fear, and you're working on your shame and guilt by making amends, and you've seen your character defects, and you're trying to practice God's character, and it says, we have entered the world of the spirit. I think it mean, really means the Holy Spirit. And it tells us what we do all day, and then uh, in that next paragraph, and then it says, I've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. So at some point, I get to page 84, if I do all the work to this point, and I'm not fighting the obsession to drink anymore. And this is called the recovered promises. Is it okay if I go through these before we end? Good. It says, because at this time, sanity will have recurred. I can see the truth about alcohol today when I'm on page 84 and 85, when I'm in the world of the spirit with God. Now, I can lose that because I can get out of the world of the spirit with God. But if I stay in that world where God's God and I'm serving him, I have sanity over alcohol. I won't be fighting anyone or everything, and I won't be fighting alcohol anymore. Seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we will recoil from it as from a hot flame. So on page 25, we keep burning ourselves because we're untreated alcoholism. And on page 85, we recoil from it. Think about it. We react sanely and normally, and it has happened automatically. And I have a new attitude towards liquor, which has been given me by God without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. So one day you wake up and you say, gee, I haven't thought about drinking today. How'd that happen? Isn't that great? 
And then you have more days like that. You keep seeking God, because the more you seek God, the more this comes. And that is the miracle of it. I'm not fighting it, neither am I avoiding temptation. I have been placed in a position neutrality. The world of the spirit is when you're in a position neutrality, when you're with God in his world, safe and protected from drinking. And you're not even sworn off because it's, it's not my power. It's not, it has nothing to do with me. Instead, the problem has been removed. It's been removed by God. It doesn't exist for me. I'm neither cocky nor am I afraid. I have freedom from fear. And that is our experience. But here's the warning label. The warning label is, I'm only going to react this way as long as I keep in fit spiritual condition. It says, that's, this is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. So how do you get into fit spiritual condition? You work steps one through nine. How do you stay in fit spiritual condition? You work 10 and 11 every day, and you're working with others in 12. So I hope this was a good review, first step. And then Saturday, we'll talk about there's a solution in the big book. We'll read pages 25, and then we'll see where the solution came to us from Dr. Young to Rowan Hazard in 1933. Thank you, guys. Thank you.